Hello and welcome to WellBytes, a Michigan Wellness Council podcast. Our mission at Michigan Wellness Council is to inspire implementation of leading workplace wellness strategies through thought leadership and education. In this podcast series, we interview people in the field to offer different perspectives and insights. I am Rita Patel, the Executive Director of Michigan Wellness Council and your host. Today I'm going to speak to Brett Powell. He is the Vice President and Wellness Consultant at American Institute for Preventive Medicine. Welcome, Brett, and thank you for being here today. Thank you, Rita, for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So um, I thought we would start with um, uh, you telling us about yourself, like how you got into this field, um, a little bit about your background and history. Sure. So my history in the field is, is a little bit different than most. I'm actually a second-generation wellness practitioner. So my father, uh, roughly 40 years ago, probably even more, more than 40 years ago at this point, got involved in the field of wellness through his work in tobacco cessation. And he eventually ended up uh, starting the organization that I now work for, the American Institute for Preventive Medicine, uh, in 1983 is when he founded it. Uh, so that was a couple years before I was even born. And so some of my earliest memories as a child are in discussing wellness-related topics with my father without even really having uh, – a good sense of what the field of worksite wellness really looked like. Um, mm -hmm. I just kind of knew it, knew it through this, this lens that he had sort of painted for me um, in terms of talking about things like tobacco cessation and, um, you know, taking a look at different products that he was thinking about rolling out to, uh, to his clients and things like that. So, um, so that was my first exposure. And then um, I went a period of time where I was hesitant to join the field because uh, of the fact that my father uh, had been doing it for so long. And I, you know, kind of felt this uh, desire to carve my own path in life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I graduated college and reality set in and I realized I actually <laughs> needed a job. And so I agreed and we kind of both came to the agreement that I would work with him for one year. Um, and then the plan at that point was to go back to graduate school in psychology, which is what I studied in undergrad. But during that year, um, I don't know if it was by design or um, if it just sort of happened that way that uh, he took me to a couple of different conferences and introduced me to some of his colleagues in the field, and I just kind of fell in love with, um, with a lot of the, the people that work in wellness and uh, gained a much deeper understanding of just what an impact uh, it's possible to have in population health management and, and in, you know, worksite wellness, whatever the, the, the latest terminology is for, mm -hmm. for what we do. Um, and so I kind of uh, put off graduate school for one year, and one year led to two years, and that led to three years. And I just realized LinkedIn reminded me this month that it's now been 11 years at uh, American Institute for Preventive Medicine. So wow. that's kind of... That's yeah. It's been it's been a while, but so that's that's kind of the the route that I took to get here. Okay, um, it's so it is really unique. I mean, you you literally grew up with this field, um, and uh, and not even knowing 
um, I guess the technicalities of it, but just you're you're in it. You're in, in you're in that world. Yeah, and I, I one thing I failed to mention is that my mom my mo- my mother is a yoga instructor, and so I was getting it from all angles. Uh, okay. So she, whilst whilst she's not directly involved in worksite wellness, she's very much a wellness practitioner herself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, com- it was coming at me from everywhere. <laughs> so. Um, uh, and so in the 11 years that you've been um, with American Institute for Preventive Medicine, um, has your role changed? Because for the first year you said, you know, you, just, you were going to stay for a year and I guess see how it went and uh, what you could pick up from that. So what have, what have you, what's, how did your role evolve? Yeah, good question. And as you would imagine, it has evolved uh, quite a great deal. I've done, I feel like, almost everything at this organization. Um, At the very onset, I was brought into the sales department and um, was, was, you know, making sales calls, following up with um, organizations who were interested in our programs and even doing a, a bit of like data entry, um, so it was yeah. That's kind of how I was brought along. Um, the plan was to have me trained as a health coach as well. Um, so mm-hmm. I, that was actually the original plan was to I was going to be trained as a health coach and I was going to split my time between health coaching and sales. But um, the coaching never came to fruition. Um, I think I, even though I didn't love the sales aspect of my work, uh, I, I was decent at it. And so I kind of grew in that area. Um, and then, yeah, it's, uh, it's evolved quite a bit over the years. I got early on involved in IT as well. And I think that was just sort of by default because I was like a younger person here and I knew um, technology pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. relative to a lot of the other employees, so, so kind of in IT. And then nowadays, uh, I spend a lot of my time consulting with current and future clients kind of uh, on their strategy around their wellness programs. Um, I sit on the product team, so internally uh, we're constantly reviewing our own products and services to, um, to make sure that they are in line with the latest research as well as uh, that they're going to be interesting to our, to our clients. Um, and I've gotten a lot more into thought leadership and doing things like podcast interviews <laughs> or speaking at, con- speaking at conferences um, yeah. on, on related topics. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I spend my days now is in those, those areas, the consulting, the, the guiding the, the strategic uh, product uh, team here at, at the Institute, thought leadership, and thought leadership includes other things too, like we do research here at the organization, so I've led a couple of research projects, things like that, so um, mm. keeps me busy. Yeah, sounds really interesting. I like how um, you really started with like the basic, the nuts and bolts, and um, so you, you have this like really, um, I would say, a broader background um, behind what's uh, happening now. Um, and uh, and so I'm interested in learning a little bit more about uh, these products um, and and how how you work with the product team and um, what like what what do you guys offer? 
Yeah. Uh, so the the product team that I'm most intimately involved in is our technology, our online platform that helps support our programs. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we really spend a lot of time thinking about ways that we can come into an organization that we're partnering with and not just put a solution on their desk, but really build something that's custom and uh, will support the that organization where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. And I think technology, depending on who you ask, can um, is either a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I think we've seen it be really effective at supporting good wellness programs when it's used in the right way as an adjunct. You know, I don't, I don't ever think that technology should be in of itself a wellness program and exist entirely online. Um, but it's when it's used effectively to reach out and target um, individuals in a meaningful way, meaning that like the information is tailored to them um, and it's, uh, it's appropriate and um, there aren't too many hoops to jump through and the technology is simple, um, I think that, uh, that it can be really effective. So we spend a lot of time thinking about how can we make the technology simple enough so that anybody can interact with it mm-hmm. um, and so that it is used to support some more high-touch programming as well. So um, things like health coaching, um, and on-site coordination of programming. And so those are, those are areas that I don't sit on as much. We have a really, really amazing director of our behavior change and coaching programs. So she really uh, runs the strategic design, and if you're calling that a product there. So, mm-hmm. um, so we also do spend a lot of time kind of um, working with one another between departments about how, what can we do with the technology to help support our health coaching um, and vice versa. So um, that's – did that answer your question at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, and so um, I, I see that how you enhance um, uh, where, I guess, where the organization is at um, and support, and then also how um, the different uh, – different programs uh, of your business work well together, different products, um, to do that even further. And then, um, so my next question after that is like how, um, uh, so your ultimate, uh, your end client is, um, is an employer, I would think. And, uh, and I'm just wondering if that really is your end client and, if, and also like how do you interface with like other, um, other players um, in the field? Like, uh, how, do you work together, um, support each other, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah so uh, a lot of times the end client is an employer, uh, but not always. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a health plan, um, and even there uh, it may end up being an employer that's under that health plan, but our we, you know, we don't necessarily look at it in that way. It's more up to the health plan at that point who they're going to allow to participate in the programming. Um, but we also have other divisions too. I mean, we work with a lot of government agencies. Um, we do a lot of work with the Veterans Administration in terms of providing health education uh, content and materials. So it is rather vast in terms hmm. of the reach that we have. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you're correct in the assumption that um, that probably the majority of our work is done directly with employers. Okay, and providing that education. Um, so yeah, uh, that's really interesting. I didn't know about the VA um, um, and uh, the government organizations. So. Um, yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people don't, um, because you know, when you think of worksite wellness, um, and that's you know where we are at our core, um, working with veterans and in in the in the VA system doesn't always come to mind. But yeah, that is a, a decent a decent part, and actually one of my favorite things that we do. Um, oh so. yeah, how come? <laughs> how come? Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's such a beautiful thing that we're able to uh, to work with veterans on on improving their health. Um, you know, it's it's. I think one of the appeals and a lot of the a lot of the um, I guess appeal of working in wellness in general is that you know we get to give back to the greater good. It's such a it's such a a cool thing to feel as though our work is uh, is doing something good for society at large. And I think there's really no better example of that than um, than working with with the veteran population yeah it must be really satisfying I I think that's what you mentioned earlier that um, uh, when you were uh, there for the, the just the one year um, uh, before you were thinking that you might go back to grad school like how you started meeting people and like how all the great people you're meeting and I've experienced the same thing I think we all feel that um, we here, we're here to make a positive impact, and I, I think that uh, contributes to like our attitudes even towards each other. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely. I kind of got this sense that it was like people, people weren't just ending up in wellness by accident. It was like yeah. people who people who are here really want to be here. Um, and so I, I really got that sense early on. And the other thing that I found particularly striking was the fact that, you know, he, my, my father was introducing me to these people who were direct competitors of his, but they were like good friends of his at the same time. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just found that to be unique. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how many other fields. I feel like uh, a lot of times competitors are not the best of friends. Um, yeah. But it just seems like we're all kind of, even when we're com competing in some way, shape, or form, we all kind of have the same common goal to drive wellness forward and to, to really make an impact. So um, that, that sort of sense of inclusion and community in the field was, was really appealing to me. Yeah, it's very, I, I mean, I found it to be unique as well. Um, so uh, switching uh, gears a little bit, uh, so you've, you know, you've been in this field in a sense um, since birth, as you mentioned, and um, <laughs> but, and then working um, consciously in it for the last 11 years. And so, uh, from your uh, perspective and the research you do, and um, and thinking about the thought leadership, what you're bringing into the field, like what trends do you see um, for the near and the long term affecting? Um, I think we call it workplace well-being right now. So workplace. Yeah. Well okay. <laughs> we'll go. With, we'll go with that then. Workplace well-being. Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a good question. Um, I think if we're looking at wellness in sort of like three phases, um, mm -hmm. 
I think, or, or well-being. When they, I guess it, when it started out, it wasn't probably wasn't even called wellness. You know, it started out as like, you know, there was some corporate fitness, and then um, you know when the you know CDC released their um, their first iteration of the the health risk assessment. Um, I think everything was really it was it was either really based on physical health, but it was also really based on a on a risk model. Mm-hmm. Um, even that that very first health risk assessment gave what was called like a risk age. It was essentially telling you like you might be you know 35 years old, but your risk age is like actually like 65. So it was it was really based on your lifestyle factors, and it was telling you how how much at risk you are and and it was kind of um, trying to uh, or I guess the goal was twofold it was to kind of motivate people to make changes based on their risk um, so like if you change XYZ your risk age will come down and you'll have a better score and there's actually a lot of uh, tools out there that still kind of do use that score model so I, that I would consider that sort of phase one of wellness, which was like, all right, we're going to identify your risks and then try to do something to make changes there, mm-hmm. um, you know, introduce some sort of behavior change effort in follow-up to that to that, that risk identification. I'd say um, phase two that I think we're kind of in the middle of right now is really involving uh, organizational culture and realizing how much culture can either support or detract from wellness efforts. Um, along with that, and kind of in conjunction with that, I think we are, and these I would say are kind of current trends, are really bringing about the human element to wellness. So rather than just looking at you by your risk score or your risk age, we're really treating people as the people that they are in the workplace and realizing that they have very basic human needs. Um, and even, you know, talking about things like love and kindness in the workplace, I think are, are terms that we're starting to hear pop up and, um, and we hadn't in the past. Um, and that really kind of lends itself into um, the state of mental health and where we're at there. And I think we're really only scratching the surface in terms of what we can do to support individuals from a mental health standpoint. Uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of mental health topics are still a bit taboo to, to bring up, um, and people don't necessarily feel, uh, feel safe talking about them in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's um, that's a trend that will continue. I think so. Um, so this phase two that we're in, I think, will continue for some time. Um, and then, if I were to uh, try to look into my crystal ball as far <laughs> as what phase three would look like um, in the more long term, I would think that we won't necessarily need to look at wellness as a separate program that's brought in, but rather it will be embedded in the culture of organizations. Um, So um, kind of like uh, the way that a lot of manufacturing organizations incorporate safety practices and they're just kind of what you do. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not looked, it's not looked at as like something that you need to, to bring in as a, you know, a separate entity. It's just, you know, just everyone does that. Um, 
I think that's certainly something that that um, that may happen with wellness and well-being. Um, I also think that we are going to see more alignment, hopefully, between what happens in the workplace and what happens out of the workplace. So there's there's so much of it is like we're able to control what happens during the hours that people are at work, but um, but then we have essentially zero control over what they do when they go home, and so much of their influence happens at home and outside of work as well. Um, so hopefully there will be more alignment there where we're not fighting upstream when people leave work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I think those are, those are a couple things that would be nice to see um, off, in, off in the distance. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you really covered, um, it was very comprehensive, um, and I like that you started with um, where the field uh, started, you know, the risk, um, risk mitigation model. Um, and uh, in, in moving into a much more integrated, um, I guess, cohesive uh, look at uh, what well-being really means and how it relates to uh, being in the workplace and out of it. And um, I was just curious, and I went out listening to you speak, I'm thinking, oh, if you're an organization that is just starting out, would you, would you start like with what you described in phase one, or or is it kind of like a combination of things? So it's just I, I ask that because I see that, and I don't know if I have just a, a tiny view on the world, or, or or what are you seeing in the field? So. Yeah, uh, I so I can see when I mentioned phase one as being kind of like the risk a risk uh, model um, mm-hmm. identifying risk. Uh, I think there is some value in dealing with risk factors that we know exist. I mean, we, we can go into virtually any organization and know that there's going to be, you know, about 15% of them are going to be tobacco users and, um, you know, two out of three of them are going to be overweight or obese. So I, I don't think we should ignore what those risks are. I just don't know that we, you know, that the tools that we had been using as such a focus of our programs yeah. are necessary to know what those risks are. Um, so I think the big focus in, in phase one, when we go back, you know, 20, 30 years, and a lot of organizations are still doing these, pro- these programs where um, it is about identifying risk, and, um, and that's, that's okay. I, 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 again, I've, I've seen that work in, in many, many organizations, but um, I think as we continue to evolve, um, we may see less and less of, of programs that are solely focused on identifying risk. Um, again, we, we do know a lot of that information, and um, I think we're going to move into more of a, you know, dealing with, with kind of the human element, the, mm-hmm. the more comprehensive well-being approach to behavior change. Yeah. So as far as, and, you know, kind of back to your question, which is, you know, somebody's first starting out, should they go back to what, what you know, phase one? And I, um, I would say no, not necessarily. They shouldn't look at, at that model as, like, being the starting point. I think they should recognize that that's where we were as a field a while ago, and we've evolved from there. And I would, I would hope that, um, that organizations that are starting out would meet us where the field is at. And we've learned a lot as a field. And so, you know, right now we're, we're kind of in this, 
this phase too where we're really dealing head-on with organizational culture and realizing what an impact that has on, um, on human performance and, human, and, and, and employee health. Um, so I would, my advice to any organization is to really take a deep look in the mirror and, and look at what the culture looks like at the organization. I, I, I know that term is like, has been like used and abused and part of me, part of me hates the fact that people are like turned off about talking about culture because the term is so abused, but it's, it still remains in my estimation, the most important determinant as to whether a wellness or well-being program will work within an organization. If the culture is not supportive and not ready for it, then I don't think there's any sense in, in moving into uh, a wellness program. That needs to be addressed first, the culture, and then then wellness can, can come after that. Um, so I, I would, that would, that's my advice always to organizations is to really give a lot of thought around if they think their culture is ready for wellness mm-hmm. or well-being. Uh, very sound advice. You've got to have the, uh, the um, what's the word? Um, I'm thinking circumstances. Uh, you, need, you need that kind of environment to support something. So. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, you're starting to talk about um, what I want to ask you next, and so um, I don't know if you want to add anything specific. Um, you know, my question is: um, Is there anything that you see that tends to work out well, and then anything that definitely or generally um, not so drastic does not work well? Um, you know, you're talking about you, you definitely have to have the culture um, that can support um, a wellness program, but um, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah. Yeah, so um so certainly certainly culture um certainly advocates of the program and not just um not just at the the C suite level. I think that was um kind of a misnomer for a long time is that you know the CEO had to support the program and while that's very nice, um, certainly you want to have CEO support. You kind of need advocates throughout every level of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not possible um, to really start any sort of movement if, if by yourself, right? You need um, you need advocates at every level um, to to help spread the messaging that you're trying to uh, that you're trying to spread. Um, I think being really thoughtful at the onset of the program, not waiting until the end of the year or the end of the program or whatever it is to define what success will look like for your organization. And that's really different for a lot of organizations. It's amazing when we ask that question in, in a kind of a consulting phase about what, what is going to constitute success for you. What's, you know, what's the reason why you're doing this program? And, and to really hear them think about out loud what it is that they want to do with the program, what their goals are, that really helps shape the design of it and then the types of things that we're going to do um, so that we can tailor them to meet their goals. Um, the other thing that I've uh, come to realize is that, um, and this, this is an outgrowth a lot of, with, uh, from a lot of my work uh, research in um, in generations in the workplace. So, you know, we have 
the, mo the most diversity that we've ever had in the workforce in terms of uh, the generations that are all working side by side. We have five different generations working side by side, and their needs and wants and desires are quite different. Um, and we know that some groups, it tends to be the older populations, are are indeed motivated by improving their health. You know, you can tell people to sign up for health coaching because um, it'll help them lose weight or help them quit smoking. Um, younger generations, as it turns out, are not as motivated by their own health. I don't think it's any surprise. Younger people don't have health as top of mind as older people. They're, they're inherently more healthy just because they haven't had uh, the onset of chronic disease in the way that older people have. They haven't seen their friends with the onset of chronic disease or um, even dying in some cases. You know, when you get older, you have some friends who have died. Um, so younger people tend to not be as motivated by health. And so there are other ways to get people involved in programming that may be inherently more interesting than improving their health. Um, things like impact on the greater good, you know, just like what we were talking about in terms of why we enjoy working in this field. A lot of people will engage in wellness because they think that it's doing good for the world um, or, you know, helping society at large or helping the environment. So, you know, they might not want to participate in a biking or walking program because it is um, a, a way for them to get their steps in or 30 minutes of activity a day. Um, but they might participate in a walking or biking program because it reduces emissions and it's good for the environment. So I think finding uh, ways to motivate people that are meaningful to them um, is a really effective way at getting engagement in wellness, which is really kind of the magic bullet. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't think there's any doubt that there's a lot of really good programming out there. There's a lot of companies. Um, we're not Certainly, I mean, we have great programs, but there are tons of, of, of companies that have really good wellness programs. And, um, and unfortunately, a, a lot of times people just don't participate. So I think getting really creative about how we position ourselves and how we communicate uh, these programs so that it is meaningful to people um, and not just a way to uh, check a box or get the incentive or um, – whatever that may be. I think that's a really important thing, and, and I've seen that work really, really well. Mm, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think, again, what you were talking about, what tends to work well um, is applicable to um, uh, uh, my next question, it's a, you know, I wanted to see, and I ask this because um, it's something that I get in the feedback forms for Michigan Wellness Council, it's like people are looking for really like specific, um, what do we do if we don't have any money, that kind of thing. So I was wondering if you have any um, resources you can point to for organizations or tips um, that for those that are, you know, don't even have an established bu budget, they're just starting out, they're thinking about it, and then those that, you know, have laid some groundwork but don't have a full um, program, and then um, I think we can always learn no matter where we are, whatever stage, so um, then the third uh, category is like an established, an organization that has an established multi-year uh, program and an actual full-on strategy. Um, yeah, so any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's interesting. That I, I think there's some strategies that are, that are good strategies no matter what level you're at. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's always a good idea to ask your employees what they want. 
um, I think a, a, a thoughtful wellness interest survey, um, and even kind of above and beyond just wellness programming, but kind of just more of a, um, a litmus test of where the organization is at, because you can get a lot of really good information from employees around what culturally might might be beneficial to change as well. So it, the, the essence there is is feedback from from employees. Um, I think that serves two really important purposes. One is it gives you an idea of what people want, and two, it gives you um, or it gives employees the sense that they take ownership of whatever ends up happening. So if I'm a if I'm an employee at a company and um, I was asked for my input and I put you know down that I am interested in um, yoga classes, and then all of a sudden I see a yoga class pop up, I, I'm way more likely to participate in it um, because I feel as though I'm taking ownership of it and I was heard and it was something that I recommended. So, so sur- surveying is great and, and you, leveraging that feedback is great. Um, and again, a survey is, is free to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not be able to do everything that the employees want, but you can certainly take into account um, their feedback. And, uh, and a lot of things are, are you know, cost-free. Um, so so that's, that's certainly something that I would take a look at at any level. Um, you know, there's a lot of great organizations out there. I, I, I think uh, Michigan Wellness Council is, is really, <laughs> really a good one. Um, certainly if you're in, the, if you're in the, uh, the state of Michigan, that's a really good place. But I think that, that, um, that model and the reason why Michigan Wellness Council is such a good resource can be applied anywhere somebody is in the world. And I think what Michigan Wellness Council does is it connects people to resources, but it also connects people to people. And I think that one of our greatest strengths, as we kind of alluded to earlier as a field, is that we're really collaborative in nature. And I have found that no matter who it is that I reach out to, at any level I've been at when I was just starting out as a young kid, and um, even to this day, if I reach out to somebody and just want to kind of brainstorm or, and talk about things and benchmark, people are really open to sharing. And I think it gets back to you know, the people that are in this field like being in this field. And they believe in the mission, the larger mission of this field, which is to, um, to really move the needle on our nation's health, um, which needs help. And we all see this as, you know, kind of we're in it together. And so um, I think benchmarking, I think um, networking with other individuals who are in similar situations is a really good strategy in finding out what's worked for them and what hasn't. Um, so I think that, that can work at any level. Um, you know, nationally, um, WALCOA, the Wellness Council of America, just redid and redesigned their seven benchmarks this year, which I think um, are really effective. And the seven benchmarks kind of take you through the seven steps of um, developing and creating a sound wellness strategy. Um, so, yeah, those are some, some thoughts on I, I that. Really, yeah. Oh, sorry, did I cut you off? No, no, no. That was kind of the end of my thoughts. Oh, okay. I really like how you focus on um, no matter what stage you're at, it's, um, it's about this uh, listening and staying connected um, to uh, what the people who work there, like what, where are they at, what are they, what are they interested in, and um, so staying informed that way, but then also just to um, uh, the information and 
the people in the field and what's happening, what are others doing, and really having that collaborative um, way. And so you can also um, benchmark that way. So it's like it's kind of like the two-sided, and it's I think that is um, really good advice no matter where you're at. So yeah. Yeah, I think you summed that up quite nicely. Um, you know, getting the getting the feedback internally, looking externally for resources, and finding where your low hanging fruit are. You know, if um, if all the employees are asking for something, and you've also benchmarked it and found out that it's worked well elsewhere, you know, that's that seems like a, a nice easy win. Um, yeah. But you know, never getting complacent, never assuming that because something worked elsewhere or because it's worked even for you in the past. I mean, really staying on top of things and always um, constantly uh, evolving um, in, the, in the strategy and, um, and in the program I think is important as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, a very important point. And then, um, um, so my next question is um, related to something you said earlier um, in terms of like, looking in the crystal ball, but um, how wellness gets in integrated into an organization, um, about the future of where we're going. Um, but in, I think we are thinking about that now anyway. It's like, well, how does, how does it fit in to what the organization is doing as a whole? And like, so, so if it doesn't start from the C-suite, so it's not the CEO saying we should be doing a wellness program and integrating it into um, how we are. Um, and it's starting at another level. How, what advice would you give to help communicate um, in the terms that someone, um, I, I guess, on the C-suite level or even um, another level just to get buy-in uh, uh, on like why this is important and it fits with not just your goals, but their goals as well. Oh. Yeah, okay. So how do you sell the program to, to yeah. leaders? Um, yeah, that's an important thing, right? Because at some point, uh, if you do want to move the strategy forward, there likely will end up being some cost to it, whether it's allowing employees off the line to participate or investing in partnering with a vendor um, to bring in certain services or even justifying your own position in right. terms of being able to allocate time to it. So yeah, at some point you do need to sell this as a concept and I think that's an important piece as well. Um, it's, it's very similar to what we were just talking about related to um, perhaps motivating employees to participate and not always using the same results in the case of the employees. It's, you know, don't always motivate them to participate in wellness by dangling, you know, health as the potential outcome, but something else, finding what's meaningful to them. I think that's the same case here with, with um, getting buy-in from, from leadership. Um, you know, and it's, uh, it's, 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 a lot of times different for every organization. Um, some, some leaders are, are interested in doing things because it's the right thing to do. We should take care of our employees because, you know what, they spend most of their waking life here and it's just simply the right thing to do. Um, others, uh, you can uh, mention that, you know, increased productivity and, you know, impact to the bottom line. Um, I mean, there's a lot of research that has come out recently around um, em employee health as it relates to business success and like actually increasing revenues. And you know, that might speak to to a lot of leaders and certainly probably a CFO. Um, some leaders want to be recognized 
uh, through like award programs and winning winning awards uh, for their programs. So uh, I think getting to the bottom of what makes them tick um, and uh, and you know describing how your program can align with the goals that they have individually for the organization, but also the organizational goals as well. Um, is really important. It's just really important to find alignment there. And unfortunately, there is no magic bullet here, and there is no uniform thing because every organization is different and every CEO is different. Um, but being thoughtful about it in a way that you can bring meaning to them, something that's mm-hmm. meaningful to them, is, is immensely important. Um, I think sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that what's important to us should also be important to them or even what's important to the employees. You know, you can, you can come to them with a survey and say, look, all of our employees want to participate in this program and we should do that. But, um, but that may, the CEO may not care about surveys and survey results. So I think keeping things, um, keeping things in the context of what is important to that individual or to that leadership level and also what's important to the organization um, is, is really where it's at. Uh, yeah, and I, I like that it's, a, it's not a, it's not a, it, there's no one answer, but it's really the answer is like you just to find out what matters um, to yeah. who you're trying to connect to. And I think um, that's a very important point. And um, you mentioned that there are, uh, resources out there depending on what um, which way you're trying to communicate and um, uh, don't want to leave people hanging who are listening um, you can start also on our website um, but there's many um, uh, ways you can go from there so hopefully that would be a way to support our listeners and um, uh, I, 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 we're coming to a close right now, but I wanted to ask you, is there anything um, that we haven't talked about that you'd like to um, share today? The, the only thing I want to add um, to people listening is that we are in, in such a great field in so many ways, and it's still so much a new field in many ways, you know, when we compare um, worksite wellness to, to other fields that have been around for hundreds of years. Um, So it has evolved so much and it will continue to change. And so I think that's one of the really exciting things about our field is that we, each of us that work in the field now has such an opportunity to help shape uh, worksite well-being as it continues to change in the future. And so I would just challenge everybody to not settle for the status quo in terms of where we're at now, but really think deeply about where we can go and and how we can continue to evolve. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, clearly we don't have all the answers and clearly um, health as a nation is still uh, in a pretty pretty bad state. So, um, So we need a lot of creative thinking around how we can continue to evolve. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It's a very dynamic uh, field that I think um, everyone cares about. People care about being well. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, and so that's exciting. Um, Well, uh, would you like to share some of uh, your contact information if people want to get in touch to learn more about what you do, um, whether um, it, uh, where you work, or um, um, if they want to get in touch with you for speaking engagements or anything like that? 
Yeah, and I always do say I'm happy to talk to people about anything and everything. <clears throat> I'm like a wellness nerd <laughs> when it comes to stuff like this. I really just genuinely enjoy talking about stuff related to, to worksite wellness. And um, So, yeah, please do feel free to reach out. You can find me on um, on LinkedIn, if that's easy, Brett Powell and American Institute for Preventive Medicine. And my email address, if you want to just email me directly, is first initial, last name, B-P-O-W-E-L-L, at healthylife.com. That's all one word, healthylife.com. B. Powell at healthylife.com. Great. And um, I did not mention in the beginning, but Brett Powell is also a board member here at Michigan Wellness Council. Um, we thank you for your support and volunteering your time doing that. And uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Rita. It's been a real pleasure. I appreciate it.